Hey listeners, as many of you know, we endorse a lot of products here at Cracked Rackets, and while we believe in all of them, I can personally offer a wholehearted, full-throated endorsement of our newest product, our newest partner and title sponsor here of our Great Shot Podcast, and a product I used all too often growing up as a tennis player. It's our friends over at Turna Tennis, makers of the world-famous Turna Grip. Now, Turna Grip is the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched by any other product in the tennis world. And of course, I'm talking about that trademark, iconic blue colored grip that you can see on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros across the world. Their mega tack grip, the tackiest grip on the market. If you would like to get yourself a pack of Turner Grip, you can find it anywhere you buy your tennis products, or you can email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. That's sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. Turner Grip, truly the tackiest and truly the best grip in all of tennis. Welcome to The Deciding Point, our Crack Rackets weekly breakdown of the biggest storylines going on throughout the tennis world. We're going to focus on the professional action this week. We had four fantastic tournaments delivering us some very fun results. With that in mind, here was one of our biggest storylines from the past week of pro tennis. Let's talk about the WTA action in Lyon, where 18-year-old Clara Tawson, in just the third main draw of her young career, won her first WTA-level title. Now, it's the eighth title for Tawson in 10 finals, the first nine final seven titles coming at the ITF level, but you look at her performance this week, she didn't drop a single set in any of her seven victories, won her two qualifying matches in straight sets, knocked off top seed Ekaterina Alexandrova in straight sets, in her first round match, knocked off Bedosha Gibert in the semifinals, and then Golubic in the final. You watch uh, Clara Tawson play for about 15 seconds or, you know, one full service or return game, and her talent just jumps off the screen. When she has the opportunity to set her feet and strike the ball cleanly, uh, I would say seven out of 10 times right now against her level of competition, it's turning out to be a winner. And there's just a steadiness, a poise to Tawson. Uh, She doesn't seem overwhelmed by any of the stages, any of the moments that she finds herself in. And, you know, she dealt with a couple of controversial, in my opinion, incorrect line calls during her semifinal match in particular, but then early in the final match as well. And she handled them like a champ. She kept her head down, persevered, was down an early break in the first set of the final, uh, almost broke back immediately. But after facing that two love deficit, was able to steady the ship. And then from there, you know, coast in her first WTA level final and having the chance to speak with her in her press conferences this past week. Uh, She's someone who is prepared for success. And by the way, if you want to hear from her, go check out those press conferences on our Cracked Interviews podcast. But for Clara Tawson, I mean, the forehand, it's a little bit of an extreme grip, but when she connects with it cleanly, she can move it around the court. It's a 
heavy topspin shot. It can just drive through the court as well when she connects with that backhand. It is a thing of beauty. It's like a slingshot uh, coming off of her strings. And of course, she can buy time for herself. She's comfortable at the net. Her serve uh, still needs some work, but certainly the first serve flashes plus potential. And then, you know, I think her movement something she's going to need to work on, but you could say that about every 18-year-old in tennis history. And so I have to say, if you're a Clara Tawson fan, she's now 39-8 and in her last 52 weeks of competition, 94-24 and since the start of the 2019 season. Let me repeat that again, 94-24. and That's absolutely stunning. It shows she's had success at every level of the professional tour as she's continued her ascent. She's a former world junior number one as well. So it's not a shock to see a former number one junior turn into a good professional tennis player. It is a shock to see someone do it and rise as rapidly as Clara Tawson has. She now cracks the WTA top 100 with this result, I believe is at number 96 in the latest edition of the rankings. And obviously this is going to have some opportunity now to play some high level matches. She'll get into the main draws of Grand Slams. And given that French Open she played last year where she knocked off Jennifer Brady and Obviously, that was some pretty good foreshadowing from what we've seen here early in the season from her. Uh, Given she's going to get main draw points at these Grand Slams, given she's going to get to play WTA-level events now, even with the rankings freeze, she's someone who's going to be able to add a ton of points to her ranking. And with that, it's not going to shock me at all if we see her by the end of the season inside the top 75, top 60. I think that's how good she is already. And of course, her potential as she continues to improve. She uh, has the skill set, she has the mindset, and clearly she has an appetite and a love for the sport as well. So fantastic week from Clara Tawson. Fantastic week from her opponent, Golubic, as well, who uh, dramatic three set seven six in the third victory over number two seed Fiona Farrow in the semifinals. Thought it was a good week for Farrow, too, who might be the best mover in the women's game, not named Simona Halep. She's that quick around the court. Uh, I thought Bedosa Joubert played a great match against Kiki Mladenovic. I honestly thought it was a good week for Mladenovic as well, and considering there were a lot of top-ranked players playing in Doha, last week. It's, you know, credit to Toss and credit to all of the players taking the opportunity to get into this draw here in Lyon. I believe last year it was Sonia Kennan who won the Lyon Lyon event this year, Clara Tossin. Hopefully that is more foreshadowing for success in her career because certainly she is someone all of us will begin to enjoy over the next 10 years. Let's talk now about the WTA event that unfolded in Doha. Another fantastic week of tennis delivered to us fans by the WTA Tour, and it really does feel like the name of the game during this 2021 season in women's tennis is going to be parity. It's not just the players within the top 10, not just within the top 20, but it does feel like there are a bunch of names, even within the top 50, top 60, that depending on the week, depending on the conditions, if they play their best tennis, can absolutely make a run deep into any event. You talk about someone who fits that profile in Jessica Pagula, who makes the semifinals this past week in Doha before being knocked out by the eventual champion, someone who played some spectacular 
spectacular tennis over the course of the past week in Doha, and that's Patrick Kvitova, who in the final match knocked off Garbine Muguruza straight set 6-2-6-1. I mean, certainly the conditions in Doha those last two days were rough. There were swirling winds, and, you know, the quality of that Kvitova-Pagula match, not the cleanest match, certainly, you'll ever see, but that match clearly helped Petra Kvitova, who I also had the chance to speak to and ask that question about, and you can go hear her answer in our mini-break podcast, but, you know, clearly helped her going into day two because the wins weren't nearly as bad as they were in her semifinal match, and Garbine Muguruza didn't play a semifinal after Azarenka had to pull out with a back injury, so for Petra Kvitova, I mean, she just... It doesn't matter how windy it is. When she's connecting well with the ball, when she's moving as well as she did the past week, uh, she's going to hit through any court, through any opponent. That's what she was able to do. She did a particularly good job of targeting that Muguruza forehand with her serve and plus one shot because Muguruza just a rock on that backhand wing does such a good job of absorbing power and redirecting it. And look, Kvitova never allowed Muguruza to find her rhythm either. And now, uh, when you look for Petra Kvitova, who with this result has the 28th title of her career, she is now 26 and 8 overall since the start of the 2020 season. During that time span, she's made that Roland Garros semifinal run last year. She made the round of 16 at the U.S. Open last year. She made the Doha final last year uh, before losing that match. Obviously, here this year, she ends up winning in this title match and look wins for her over Pagula over Conteve over Pavlachenkova it was a tough road to the title uh, but what Petra Kvitova proves once again and the fact that she is 28 and 10 in her final matches and you know Tumaini Cario my friend pointed out in a tweet that she's now 24 and 7 in finals that aren't WTA to you know WTA 500 or higher level events hope you guys like the hand gesture there symbolizing the higher uh, she's 24 and 7 and what he he pointed out, and I think is correct, when she plays her best tennis uh, at an event, usually she wins that event. That speaks to how high a ceiling Petra Kvitova has as a player, and she was fantastic this week. And so was Garbine Muguruza, by the way, who now leads the WTA in wins on this 2021 season, and I know it's very early, but she came closest to knocking off Naomi Osaka in Australia, had those match points. There were time this week, times this week in Doha. She looked simply untouchable, and you do wonder how that no semifinal match uh, broke her rhythm. Uh, but, you know, the win over Sabalenka early in the event for Muguruza, she played fantastic tennis. She followed it up so well in her subsequent matches. I think she's going to win a Grand Slam in 2021 because we know her game translates across surfaces and she just looks fit. She looks confident. Uh, I expect big things out of her and ditto with Petra Kvitova, ditto with Jessica Pagula, who is going to crack the top 30, I think, at some point this season, which is just crazy to think about given, she, what, a year and a half ago, two years ago, she was outside the top 100. And so uh, this was a fantastic week of tennis. And the really cool thing is we followed up this week in Dubai as well. So so again, WTA Tour continues to deliver the goods. Credit to Petra Gar- uh, Kvitova, Garbine Muguruza, Jessica Pegula, and all of the players are for doing their role once again in this past week's Doha event. Let's recap the ATP event we saw unfold in Buenos Aires. Diego Schwartzman 
became the first Argentinian man since David Nelbandian in 2008 to win a title on home soil. He knocks off Francisco Cerundolo in a straight set final and played some outstanding tennis all week long. And it's a huge week for Schwartzman considering his disappointment. The prior week in Cordoba was knocked off early in the event for him to follow that up with the title here on home soil for him to get this victory in the final after he lost in last year's final. It's a fantastic moment for Diego Schwartzman, who really has played the best tennis of his career over these past 15 months. I want to quickly talk about Francisco Serendolo, who I've spent so much time praising over the past week on the mini break podcast, really the past two months on the mini break podcast. He's now 37 and nine folks in his last 52 weeks. And we've talked before about all of his challenger success down the home stretch of 2020 and to start 2021. Challenger success matters, folks, because you look for Serendolo now with this final, his first ATP level final. He's up to number 112 in the ATP rankings. And, you know, with the point system being as they are, he's going to be protected as well. And now that he'll have the chance to maybe sneak into some more ATP level events, gain, have a chance to earn some higher degree, uh, a higher degree of points in the events he's playing, uh, I think it's only up from here for Francisco Serendolo. And no, unfortunately, he ended up a match short of becoming the first brother duo, his brother Juan Manuel, winning the week before in Cordoba to win back-to-back titles on the ATP Tour, but you watch Serendolo play for five minutes. The forehand is an absolute weapon. He's rock solid on his backhand wing. He moves well, and he really thrived in with that Argentinian crowd. And of course, he is a man from Argentina, but the energy of the moment just seemed to help him raise his level all week long. This is a really exciting result for Serendolo, who unfortunately just didn't have the legs, didn't have the discipline against Schwartzman in the final. Schwartzman just worked him outer third to outer third and played so well in that final. And it's a credit, again, to Diego Schwartzman to earn this title. But it's been a really fun South American swing thus far. And obviously, that swing continues here this week as we have another clay event. Christian Guerin looking to get his clay court season rocking and rolling this week. But fantastic result for Schwartzman, fantastic result for Serendolo, and a very fun event down in South America. Let's talk about the ATP event that happened in Rotterdam. And folks, another ATP 500 level event in the books. Another title for Andre Rublev, who wins his fourth straight event at this level as he knocks off Martin Fucevic in straight set Stefano Tsitsipas, a straight set semifinal victory for Rublev as well to earn the victory. Now, with this win, I mentioned the four straight titles. Rublev matches Roger Federer and Andy Murray for tied the second longest streak at this level. They all trail a different Roger Federer streak. He won five straight events between the 2014-2015 seasons. You also look in terms of individual wins. Andre Rublev, 20 straight ATP 500 level victories. That trails only the streaks of Andy Murray at 21 matches and Roger Federer at 28 matches in terms of the longest streaks in ATP history. And I think it goes without saying at this point, but Andre Rublev's forehand, if it's not the best on tour, it's in the top five in his ability to control the point the moment he gets a clean look at a forehand, his ability to continue to improve on that backhand wing to where it's not just solid anymore. It's not just a placeholder. It can be a weapon when he chooses to go down the line with it. His movement gets better 
better and better with each passing month. His volleys, he becomes more and more comfortable. No one's going to accuse him of being a natural volleyer, but I mean, his skill set, his level, his physicality, I mentioned again, the win over Tsitsipas in the semifinals. Thought he had a really tricky win over Jeremy Chardy in the quarterfinals as well. Chardy was just playing big tennis, going for his shots. Rublev managed to, you know, withhold, withstand the storm and get through that one. And then just physically, he looked so good all week long. On an indoor hard court, uh, it's going to be really tough to knock out Andre Rublev throughout the course of his career. And, you know, I want to give a huge shout out to Marton Fuchvich, who knocked off Chorch in the semifinals, Tommy Paul in the quarterfinals. And I know those names don't jump out uh, as, oh, that's a great win in an ATP semifinal and quarterfinal level event. But, I mean, you look for Fuchvich now in his last 52 weeks. He's been an absolute rock. He's 20 and 9. He made that round of 16 at uh, the French Open, third round at the U.S. Open last season. I think he lost that five-set match to Tiafo, and then the final here in Rotterdam. He's back up to number 46 in the current rankings. That's 15 off his career high of 31, but considering Fuchovic now, I think, 29 years old this season, turns 30 uh, next year, this is where you want to be when you're in the prime of your career, in the top 50, able to play whatever schedule, whatever event you want. Marton Fuchovic will have that luxury this season, and again, he played fantastic all week long. You know, the win over Davidovich Fokina, the win over Opelka. I believe he came through qualifying and beat Rinderneck and Air Bear as well. Uh, it was a fantastic week of tennis for Marton Fuchovic, and uh, unfortunately, he just ran into the buzzsaw that was Andre Rublev there in the final. And again, Andre Rublev has solidified himself as a top ten player. I think he's now a uh, top, maybe even top, you know, eight sort of guy who you expect to make year-end finals. And you look for Andre Rublev now in terms of his fellow next-gen cohort. He trails only uh, Zirev, Medvedev, and Tsitsipas in terms of career finals made. And so it, it makes sense that these accolades continue to come for Andre Rublev. He's been so fantastic. Uh, and I think the best is yet to come as well. So again, considering in this Rotterdam event, there was no Djokovic, no Nadal, no Federer. Uh, we expected a next-gen guy to win. We shouldn't be surprised that Andre Rublev ended up being that guy. For this week's deciding point, we're going to switch things up a little bit, and obviously there have been so many fantastic results from these next-gen ATP players, not just over the past year, but really the past four seasons, and we've seen now Alex Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev win the last three year-end championships. We saw Dominic Team break through to win a Grand Slam title, albeit uh, no Nadal, no Federer in the draw, Djokovic disqualified in that event, but you start to look at all the titles these next-gen guys have accumulated, you know, with Zverev, Medvedev capturing Masters events, Hachinov even has a Masters title, and, you know, all the success Tsitsipas has had at the year-end finals, at the Grand Slams as well for Andre Rublev, four straight ATP 500 titles with his victory this past week in Rotterdam. The deciding point I wanted to have, the question I wanted to discuss is do these events matter? Do any titles outside of, you know, the Masters, the Grand Slam events change your perception of any of these next-gen players? And I can only speak for myself, but 
it's getting tough because I think the fact that Rublev has won four straight uh, ATP 500 level events, the fact that we saw Daniil Medvedev at the end of the 2019 season just, you know, rip through the City Open and then the Rogers Cup and then the Western and Southern Open, the fact that we've seen Dominic Team win an Indian Wells title, we've seen Zverev do it at all sorts of places, Tsitsipas do it at all sorts of places, you know, we know what these guys are capable of, and of course the Berrettinis of the world, the Yannick Sinners of the world they continue to win you know and swoop up those ATP 250 level titles we saw you know Juan Manuel Serendolo do it at the 250 level as well the question is do the success these players have at non-masters 1000 events non-year finals non-grand slam events matter to them heading into those big events and of course you know a litmus test is always did you beat one of Djokovic Nadal Federer to earn your title did you beat a fellow top next-gen player to do that because of course if you are able to do that like Rublev was in the Rotterdam semifinals over Tsitsipas that's absolutely a data point for all of us tennis players to keep in mind should that matchup happen later on in a grand slam but that being said I think it's also safe to say the next gen ATP players have answered all of those questions if there's not a big three player in the draw they are the favorites there's a reason Medvedev Zverev Tsitsipas and I'm missing the other player who it was were the top four seeds uh last week you know and Rublev were the top four seeds in Rotterdam there's a reason uh you know these players keep creeping into the top 10 and there's a reason they're the healthiest guys at the end of the season we've seen them win year-end championships but you know, the, the days of the hot takes, the days of four straight ATP 500s, Andre Rublev's winning a Grand Slam for sure, That those days are probably over. And I will say, if you see one of these young guys winning a Masters event in the lead up to a slam, definitely keep your that data point in your head. That sort of victory deserves to be weighed equally because you do see Joko, not equally, but I'd say 80% of the way there because you're going to see the big three guys in those events. But short of it being that sort of event... It's getting tough because these next-gen guys have had a ton of success, and we still haven't seen one of them get over that big three hump in the final of a slam. That's the missing piece, and until that piece is answered, we'll continue, I suppose, to have questions about this next-gen ATP generation.